So as Pastor Jay mentioned, we'll be uh, doing this together here, and I've got the first part, and he'll be coming up for the, for the later part, and particularly as we get to the table here and the emblems on the table. But, but let's, uh, let's pray again, and let's jump into the Word. Father in heaven, we pray that your Spirit will be with us. And bless us in this time that we will have access to our hearts and our minds and that you will speak to both today. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe you've heard this text recently. Luke chapter 2, verse 8, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. It's always interesting how eager we are to get to the Christmas texts. And uh, we can't wait till Thanksgiving's over and we get to them. And then when somebody reads one of them outside after Christmas, it's, what are you doing reading that? We're done with that. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. No, we took the manger down. Lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So I don't want to talk about that story. I don't want to talk about the lead-up to that story. I don't even want to talk about the immediate aftermath of that story. I want to talk about a week later. I want to talk about a year later. I want to talk about 10 years later. I want to talk about 20 years later. What do you suppose those shepherds thought 20 years later? What in the world was that about? Because ever since that night we saw the angels and we showed up and saw that baby, nothing has changed. We're still walking out here every night. We're still watching these sheep. The skies don't open up full of angels. Supposedly, this baby we saw is something, but we don't even know where he is now. Do you ever get impatient? You ever get impatient? The Lord reveals a great thing or a great promise is made, and then tomorrow's like today. And it just keeps going. And after a while, you start to think, am I just crazy? Or did I actually see angels one night? How long does it take for the promise to lose its power in your life? How long can you live in the promise? Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 21 and the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, what is this proverb you have about the, about the land of Israel saying, the days grow long and every vision comes to nothing? Do you ever feel like, you know, I've been believing a long time, but it just kind of seems to be the same thing. 2020 turns into 2021, turns into 2022, turns into 2023. About the only thing that changes are the faces on the front row in children's story. 
They get a little bigger. And we get a little older. How long have you lived in the promises? There's a mistake we make in the Bible sometimes. And, and we were actually talking about this last night at our house at our, in our worship time last night. The Bible is full of events, stories, miraculous events, things taking place. But sometimes we forget they didn't all take place one right after the other. You see, what would happen is there would be times of intensity and there would be all kinds of things going on. And then there would be a long span of nothing. It's easy to forget that there's at least 1,600 years from Abraham to Jesus. That's a long time. That's a long time to live in the promise that a Redeemer will come. But God's purposes know neither haste nor delay. Sometimes to us that's confusing. If I was one of those shepherds, I'd have thought, wow, I have no idea what that experience was. But I'm not sure I'm seeing what happened. And, and think about it. If you were, let's say you were a 25-year-old shepherd, Jesus doesn't even appear at the Jordan for 30 more years. You might not even have lived long enough. How are you at waiting? How are you at living in the promise? I'm not very good at it. I kind of like delivery. If you're going to promise, deliver. I want to see it. Let's have it now. That's not really how it works, is it? Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And if I was anywhere during that 1,600-year span, I'd have been saying, really? How long, Lord? How long? How long? And if I'd been anywhere in that 1,600-year span, except for the last little bit of it, it would have been longer than my life. When the fullness of time had come, Jesus did come. And there were faithful ones who had lived in the promise. But that was the promise they were living in. We have some promises now that we are to be living in. Are you living in the promises? What am I talking about? Well, maybe the best the best statement of it is John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. This is Jesus talking. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Now, other than hearing the promise 
And other than maybe a few confirming kinds of things in your life by means of the Holy Spirit, has anything happened in your span from, well, we pretty much have zero to older than that. I don't know how old we want to say, but we've, we've got a good span of ages here. How many of you in your lifetime have with your own eyes seen Jesus. Now, it's rhetorical. There's lots of ways we see Jesus. There's lots of ways we experience him, things like that. But, but not like they did when he was here. And not like the promise, which says, where I am, there you will be also. How are you doing living in the promise? There's also prophecy. Revelation 21, verse 11, then I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. Why does he do this? Because the earth is full of evil and wickedness. And he's putting an end to it. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood. Why is the robe of the coming king dipped in blood? Because he gave his life for us. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an iron rod. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Okay, so we live with an imperfect understanding of the prophecies, and we live in the promises. But that's exactly how it was for the 1,600 years before Jesus was born. They had an imperfect understanding of the prophecies, and they had the promises. But Jesus doesn't leave us to just flounder, to just wonder. He gives us things, tangible things, to hang on to. One of those is Christian community. What we have here, this is a tangible thing. We are, we are signs and witnesses of the reality of the promise of Jesus. As the Holy Spirit fills our lives and transforms us, as the community lives and moves and breathes in the power of God, it is a sign, it is a witness to the truth of the promise. This is why we don't neglect gathering together, because when we gather, it is a witness to our faith, both to each other and to others who are around us. But there's other things too. Luke chapter 22, verse 14. And when the hour came, Jesus reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now at that point, the disciples didn't really understand what he was talking about. Didn't really know what was coming. Verse 16. For I tell you, I will not eat it 
until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So Jesus is talking about something special that he's going to initiate at this last supper with his disciples that he himself will not participate in again until all promises are fulfilled, all prophecies reach their ending, until we gather with him in the kingdom. But the amazing thing that he's going to do is he's going to leave it behind for us and we will participate in it as a sign of our belief in his promise until the day he has it with us again. Luke 22, verse 17. And Jesus took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus gave us this service to remind us that the promise is real and that the prophecies will be fulfilled whether we ever figure them out exactly or not. He gave us this service to participate in an act of remembrance that we are not just cast out into the world, orphaned and wandering, but that we are in fact sons and daughters of God. And when we participate in this service, we testify to that truth. Now, not only did God give us each other, not only did God give us this service, God also gave us faithful servants to lead us in remembering. And today happens to be the last Sabbath of one of our faithful servants in this community. Not his last Sabbath. He's got a whole bunch more coming. But his last Sabbath as a faithful servant leader in this community. And as such, as we talked about the end of the year, as we talked about how we want to go into the new year and how important it is to go into that living our faith in the promise of Jesus, we wanted to have the communion service. But as we talked about it, this was what seemed like a good idea to me, and Jay did not argue, so that's good. And that is this, and this is going to take us a little longer than it might normally take, but that is this. Since this is the last Sabbath, Pastor Jay is going to be here among us. He's going to serve us. And it's going to go like this. He's going to come up here in just a second, and... and, uh, Jared, you guys can come back up. We're going to have a little background music while this goes on. It's going to take a little longer than it normally would, but it's okay. You'd be here listening to me one way or another, so that'll be all right. And what we're going to do, Jay's going to stand here, and you're going to come to him. And he's going to serve you the emblems. Now, it's kind of throwback emblems, 
This is throwback to the COVID days. Remember those? Came in the little self-contained packet. You tear the top off and there's the bread and then you tear the next piece off and there's... So Jay was so key to this place during COVID and getting this community through that time that it's kind of neat that that's what we have today because he played such a servant's role in that time. But he's going to be here and you're going to come and he's going to serve you. And, and don't be afraid to say something nice in that moment. Now, don't go on and on. We don't have all day for that. But, but this is the last chance for him to get to serve you. And the last chance for you to receive what the Lord has given us from him. So in a moment here, I'm going to say the standard prayer we say over the emblems. And when I'm done with that, then Pastor Jay will come up here. And we actually, we have gluten-free on this side. And we have the regular on the other. And then we're just going to start. And we're going to go row by row. I think we're orderly enough that we can figure that out. And, and we don't have to dismiss you. If it gets totally out of hand, I'll try to help out somehow. But, but we'll just get started from the front. Look where you are. Work your way up here. Everybody come up here. And when you get yours, go back to your seat and hold on to it. Because at the end of that, he's going to lead us in receiving the emblems together. So I'm going to kneel here. You can remain seated where you are. I'm going to kneel here and I'm going to pray over the emblems. And then Pastor Jay will come. And then from the rows, come and receive this confirmation of the promise of Jesus. That if I go, I will come again. Let's pray. Father in heaven, on this day, we acknowledge with thankfulness in our hearts the gift of your sacrifice. And we acknowledge it in the context of waiting. We are just the latest group of believers to be waiting on your return. Our belief and our hope is that that return is soon, Lord. But regardless of when that return is, we partake of this service with faith in our hearts, believing that in fact the bread does represent your body broken for us and that the cup does represent your blood of the new covenant shed for the forgiveness of sin that we might truly live out our calling as sons and daughters of God. Lord, it is a particularly poignant time for us as you have called Pastor Jay to a new place of service. He has been so important to us in this place and we're thankful. We're thankful for his service. And Lord, as we receive these emblems today, May it not just be a receiving of the promise uh, and our faithfulness and our belief in what you have accomplished, but also in what you will do, and that one day you will restore us all to one another in a place of peace and love and hope. This is what we, what we witness to this day. In Jesus' name, amen.
Friends, one more time together, last day of the new year, last day of the old year, heading into the new year. Like Jeff said, we wanted to start this right, wanted to end on the right foot. I've preached a couple of sermons from this pulpit talking about this identity of don't take anything with you that you don't have to, the identity of Jesus telling the disciples that if something goes wrong, if something goes sideways, don't worry about it. Shake the dust off of your feet, move on to the next one. I don't know what 2022 was like for all of you. But 2023 is happening tomorrow, whether 2022 was great or awful or evil or a trial, whatever it is, it's coming. So the goal today is to start on the right foot, to find a way to reminisce, but also glorify God through whatever it is that you went through. And so we're going to do this all together uh, one more time, and I'm going to read from Scripture. I'm going to read out of Luke 22. I also want to check really quick just to make sure, because this is... This is such a special thing for us to be able to do as Adventists uh, to say that there is no barrier. So if there is somebody who doesn't have the emblems in front of them, just go ahead and throw your hand up. We will get them to you. This is not closed off for anybody. Diane needs one in the back. Uh, Peter, if we can get that to her. Um, Boys, do you have one up top too? We'll get you covered. This is open for everybody. We celebrate an open table uh, with the Adventist faith. It doesn't mean... Uh, There's a restriction to it that uh, you might put on your own family, you might think of your own kids uh, and think they're not ready yet, and that's okay, but everyone is welcome to eat and partake as Jesus showed us in the book of Luke. I'm going to read this all together, and you can peel back this top lid. Um, It comes in two parts. If you were here during COVID, you recognize these. You can peel back the first one, and we'll start there. It says in Luke chapter 22, Starting in verse 18, it says, For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And in verse 19 it says, And he took the bread, and we had given thanks. He broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me.
As you peel back the lid on the juice cup, the verses continue. Verse 20, and likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, and woe to that man to whom he has been betrayed. Before all of that took place, they all took and drank from the cup. Amen. Like I told the Kids Life group, we split this service kind of in half. Jeff and I planned this out. Did you tell the story already, Jeff? A little bit. I missed the beginning. I was kind of wandering around trying to figure out how to light my flowers on fire. For those of you who missed that, that's not going to make any sense. And now I'm not going to explain it because that's funny to me. Ultimately, uh, our goal long ago before, uh, before hospital chaplaincy was in the picture Jeff and I said, wouldn't it be cool if we tag team a sermon together? It would be a lot of fun. On what day should we do it? We picked this date. We said, what should we do on that day? And I said, you know what I love to do? Communion services on New Year's Eve. And he said, that's great. Let's do it. And then he said, well, you're leaving now. Shouldn't you just preach the whole thing? And I said, no. I'm still really excited about tag teaming the sermon. And I'm really glad we stuck with it because we did not like, fully communicate this. I sent an email and I said, hey, man, here's what I'm thinking. And he was like, cool. And then he did what he did, which is just like this perfect dovetail into what I was going to do without planning it at all. And I don't want that to sound like, you know, we're, we're not in good communication or anything like that. It just works out that way. The Holy Spirit moves, and you get the result that, that we have now, which has been really great. His job was to reflect on communion in Jesus' time. It's my job to talk about what it means for us today. And so I want to do that with you a little bit here um, Uh, Jeff called it special, which I thought was great. This identity of a special service that we've all done together. We don't do this everywhere else. You don't do this at at an IHOP. And even though you can go to Olive Garden and everybody is family there, it's a little bit different when you do it here with these emblems in this place, with these prayers and this identity of scripture. You see things a little bit differently and it makes it special. And because of that, we need to talk about whether or not it's still special. Because it was back then. It's easy to point to Okay, so what did it mean back then? Well, it was Jesus' last day, so that's a big deal. And all of his friends are around, and he was like, hey, this is the last time we're going to be able to do this. And they're like, oh, okay, so this really is special. And today, like, like Jeff said, had me dying in the back. It's not Jesus' last Sabbath. Jesus has a bunch more for us uh, moving forward, which is great. But how do we still celebrate it in a special way now? Like, is there a way for it to still be special? And does it still matter? And if so... Why? And I wanted to reflect on that for a little bit here because ultimately I want to take into consideration where we are in this place, in this time right now. We're post-COVID, but in a lot of ways it's really interesting to see the people here now as opposed to the people here before. Jeff mentioned, what if in the next year the only thing that changes is the faces of the kids that are in the front row, which is a really interesting way of looking at things. What's really great, and you all came out I, maybe because it's my last sermon, maybe we cut a lucky break and you're here, but like, there's a bunch of people. Annie, you're back. Uh, Christina came in the other day. Um, like, there's conference officials here who are all a part of this, which makes me really, really nervous, despite the fact this is my last day working for the conference. 
I can't get in trouble at this point unless I blow it in the next 14 minutes. Still can happen. Never know. These, I mean, these things, are, these things are special in this time, in this place. And in a lot of ways, we don't see each other all the time. And unfortunately, sometimes it's for really good reasons. Like you go off to college or you're, you're doing something else. You've grown up. You've become somebody out in the world. And the kids who I've had the opportunity to minister as youth and as young adults go off into the big, bad world, which is great. But it's also great to come back into these times. But also, there are other times here, there are people who are not represented, or maybe represented here, but are not in attendance, that the reason why we're not here is because there's a division of some sort. We've had some sort of rift. There's a rupture somewhere along the line. And because of it, people go to different churches or don't go to church at all or think differently about the things that happen or the things that we're doing or the things that we have done in the past. Comments questions, policies, all of those things have created this rift. And it's the same thing now as it was back then. Jesus got in trouble for breaking a bunch of laws. It turns out you're not allowed to just grab wheat off of the side of the road and rub it between your hands. They'll kill you for that. And then they did. And it's one of those times where you think, man, that that seems steep. It seems like a heavy price for something so regular to do. And in this time, like, these things that we do that are special can potentially heal those rifts. They can fix those broken pieces that are between us. Because ultimately, I don't know if this like, changes the way you look at what you just did, but there's no difference between any of the cups that we just passed out, not a single one. Now, some of them might have tasted a little bit differently because they sat in a different box, and so they were a little bit more uh, fermented. Are we allowed to say that? I knew I was going to blow it in the first 14 minutes. I didn't think it was the first two that I was going to get in trouble for. Cool, cool, cool. We handed out to children. There's no real difference, though. It's the same cup. Back then, they drank out of the same cup altogether. And what's really great about it is there were rifts in that time, too. There were rifts between Jesus and the culture. There were rifts among the friends that were sitting inside of the room. But everybody still got to eat. Everybody still had a place at the table. And that's a beautiful thing. Something that I think gets lost in a lot of places is that in this story, it seems sensible for Jesus to be like, cool, I'm going to get my 12 friends together. Sorry, 11, not you, Judas. You're not welcome. I already know what you're about. And everybody was like, what was that about? Like, you'll see. Tomorrow it's going to get crazy. And then he eats with his 11 best friends. And then the one friend goes and does what he does. It's not that way. Judas gets to sit at the table. Judas gets to do everything that we just did, drink from the same cup, eat from the same bread. It does not matter because Jesus is inclusive in that way. And the rifts can still be bonded in that moment. And you can still make a decision to rip them apart again. And it's entirely up to you. But in today's day, we have so many divided places that something like communion can put it back together. Because ultimately, community is an identity of healing for all Regardless of your stance, regardless of your actions, and regardless of your intentions, you can take these emblems and degrade them if you want to, or roll your eyes while you take them, or pour them out on the carpet for one east to clean later. You can do that, but it is still poured out for all of you. It is still broken for all of you. So what do you do on the opposite side? What do you do with these times? What do you do with these moments? What do we do in light of the fact that we've all taken communion together? If it still has meaning and we're reflecting backwards and we're trying to put back these rifts, what do you do to continue to mend them? What do you do to continue to put them together? I told the story earlier for the kids' life story of give your friends your flowers while they're still around to enjoy them. 
I want to talk about that for this sermon as well. This identity of tell the people you love that you love them while they can still hear you. Because ultimately, Jesus did that in this room, which I think for a minute, like let's just stop and think about this for a second, how wild it would be to be in a room with somebody who stands up and goes, all right, everybody, we're going to have some dinner and you're going to do this to help remember me. And they're like, help remember you? Yeah. Remember you, why? You're standing right here. Like, yeah, 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 remember this. I go, okay. We'll see you tomorrow. And he's like, hmm. You won't, actually. You won't. And so we're going to do it now so that you remember it in this time where you can actually process through this, where you can actually spend some time replaying what this is and put it into your system how important, how special this thing is while you still can, which is a beautiful thing and really hard to do. We had talked about the fact that last week Jeff was up here preaching a sermon about, amen, hallelujah, Jesus has come. And this week we're like, and he's gone. Just like that. Cold world. Super cold world. And unfortunately for the disciples who are in this room, that's probably what it felt like. They only had like three years to get into ministry with this guy. And just like that, he's gone. And so three years into it, he's like, hey, remember this because it's not going to last forever. And because it's not going to last forever, I want you to cherish it now. Give them the flowers while you still can. It is no longer just a social construct. Within scripture, within this understanding of Luke, it's now a Christian mandate. Give your friends your flowers while they can still enjoy them. Since this is my last Sabbath, I wanted to do that here. I wanted to give flowers out to everybody as part of this sermon, using the identity of communion as the platform. Now, here's the thing. I've worked here for a really long time, over two different stints with a bunch of different senior pastors, a bunch of different situations going on. If I was going to go row by row like you did coming up with me, you're going to be here for seven and a half hours. So can I get like a little bit of like a, a nod of mercy to understand that I'm not, I'm going to do like the Oscar speech version of flowers for everybody, I'm not going to do the one like, I just want to thank my manager and thank, thank my best friend and Kathy, you know, what, you know, what would I do without you? And, oh, that's my time. Jared started to play the guitar, so I I'm, 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 guess I'm done. Thank you guys. So, all this means so much. Go to bed, kids, right? I'm not going to do that version. I'm going to skip through a lot of these things and I'm going to put them in three different pouches and talk about those pouches together. And along the way, some of your names are going to pop up only in good ways, only in ways that you've enriched my life or the uh, the life of the church in some way that I think has been important uh, to us or to me. But just recognize that nod of mercy that not everybody's going to get a shout out. Everybody understands that? I got like three nods. So... Uh, good thing is my email also turns off after today, so I won't hear about this, Jeff. That's, that's on you from here on out. Here's the, here's the thing. I'm putting them in three different pouches. Here are the pouches I would like to work on. Uh, three big lessons that I've learned here that I want to thank you for. First one is uh, very simple. You have taught me patience. Jeff, you did a run on this earlier. When I want something done, I want it done right away. How's your patience? How's your ability to be patient? Uh, I was not great at patience when I got here. Um, and that's kind of by design. I don't, is Japheth here? I'm looking where Japheth's usually sitting. I don't see him. Cool, I can talk about Japheth without him being here. Japheth was not a patient man either, and I say that in all the positive ways. Does everybody remember that? Raise your hand. That shake as your hand is in the air, that's real. That's real. Not patient. 
The game was change. The game was to get to work. The game was to move. Japheth moved ministry like he could move mountains. And then sometimes when the mountains move, he got sick of where he put them and he put them somewhere else. And it was fantastic. And we did incredible things. And the identity of patience didn't really show up in those moments because ultimately we wanted to change things all the time. You'd get here one week and it was like, the walls are green. Come back next week. We're going to put so many speakers on the walls. Guess what next week? All of the lights rotate. And then the week after that, like, that was a bad idea. Put, put lights that don't move in. And we kept making moves and we kept making changes. And here's the thing. Every once in a while, we would hit these walls, these beautiful, wonderful, sometimes aggressive walls where we would have conversations about, you know what we need to do away with? We should get rid of the bulletin. If you would have been in that room that day, mm, I learned some lessons that day, Jeff. We didn't like recite scripture or anything, but it did become a commandment of sorts. Thou shalt not remove the bulletin from printed documentations once a week. It was one of those like, what do we do with that? What does that mean? What does that say? And that's where patience starts to grow. Patience in those moments of people who have been called by God to be leaders inside of this church, to push back against the other leaders of the church, to say, are we doing the right thing? Do we need to slow down? Can we institute a brake pedal? I always think of like the, the student drivers who have a steering wheel and pedals and everything, but also in the, driver, uh, the passenger seat next to them, there's also a brake pedal just in case. It's that same sort of thing. This church has leaders and has always had leaders who are willing to speak truth into everything that is here. And I mean that in every sense of the word, everything. A decision that is made, a decision that is not made. Things that we've thought about, things that we've decided not to think about anymore. Things that we've pushed off into the future, things that we've put on pause, things that we've said yes to. This church has taught me patience. Not always in a sense that has been negative. Almost always in a positive sense. And the flowers here are the identity of this church is still operating off of the understanding that Jesus works here that Jesus leads these conversations and the things that we do. And we don't always hit the mark. I don't want it to sound like, and because of that, we've never made a mistake. That's not true. We have made mistakes. That goes back to the conversation of who's sitting in this room and who is not. And along the way, we've made some decisions that have changed the dynamic of this church. But the flowers for this are, look around to your leaders. Maybe I'll put some of you on the spot. Where, who's a current elder right now? Hands in the air and waving like you just don't care couple of them. Previous elders, people who have been an elder but are not an elder anymore, don't, uh, here's the other thing, is I, I know the answers, so let me try this again. I've, I gave you bad instructions. Everyone kept looking at me, and then I took a census, and I was like, yeah, 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 check, check, check. No, 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 here's what I want you to do. Current elders, put your hands in the air, and everybody stop looking at me and just look for people who have their hands in the air. That's your new goal. Don't, none of this half stuff, okay? Elders, there we go, good, I love this. How about newly constituted elders who maybe haven't even started yet? There we go, there's a couple. All right, people who have been elders in the past, not elders right now. Good, good. Vision board members, current, okay, cool. Past, no longer 
Do I need to switch it up and say church board members before we got to the Japheth era? There we go. That's how I got Gary to put his hand in the air. Perfect. I knew that was going to work. These are your leaders. These are your people. There's an archive full of stories about what these people have done, and there will be archives of the stories of what we will do moving forward. This group of people understands patience. They understand the spirit that moves, and they, they know the voice of Jesus, and they will walk you through this. They did it for me. And so that's the first bucket that I wanted to put things in, the identity of patience. Number two, second bucket. This one is also called patience. Because patience needs to be taught twice most of the time. And it needed to be taught to me twice. Because do you know there's a difference between like patience in a good way where it's like, yeah, that's good. We probably should have done that. And then the patience where you're rolling your eyes while you say the word patience. I think that gets closer to what Jeff was talking about of like, I want it right now, but I understand I have to wait, but also give it to me. Like all in the same breath, right? That same idea. I have had these moments here of patience in a negative way. I want to shout out one person in particular. Mark Johnson gets a shout out from me here. Flowers from Mark. Uh, this is a recent one too. Mark and I were sitting in a, in a meeting. I don't remember if it was vision board or elders board, but we had just finished the sermon series that I had done on Elijah. And it was like, well, Elijah has three trials that happened to him I'm going to encourage you all to go through whatever you're going to go through, but just, you know, examine this and expect that to a certain extent, you're going to go through three trials if you're willing to go through what Elijah did. And then I started to chart my own, right? I got up here and I said, okay, Elijah goes through a a fire and an earthquake and a hurricane. I wonder what mine are going to be. And then I caught COVID and I went, well, there we go. We can mark it off on the chart here. Hurricane complete. Second one was get divorce paperwork. Well, look at that forest fire right on track. Then I went to the third one. I wonder what the third one's going to be. And then boom, out of the blue, here's a call to move into hospital chaplaincy. And I said, would you look at that? God speaks in our time. Amen. And right as I turned to get done with this chart and move on to the next thing, Mark Johnson said, you know, not everything happens in threes, right? And it was one of those like, that felt like a threat, Mark. (laughs) Because did you see what I just went through? Everything should happen in threes, is what I said in the shower afterwards to Mark, the ghost. Unfortunately, Mark was right. Because unfortunately, there's a bunch of other natural disasters that are not listed, and then unfortunately, Elijah didn't go through because he walked himself down the mountain afterwards, and as I was walking down the mountain, skipping, thinking to myself, I figured it all out. God has already spoken. Ha, ha. I'm glad that we can laugh at that now. I love that we have that type of relationship that I just motioned I had a second heart attack and everyone went. (laughs) It's good. Mark was right. Not everything happens in threes. And the identity of patience is a wild one in that regard. We talk about this from uh, Psalm uh, chapter 40, verse one. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry, which is great. Because the psalmist is speaking in active. He heard me in the past tense, my cry. But what happens when you add it into the present? He heard my cry, but does that mean I stopped crying? If you know me well enough, the answer is no. I just kept crying. And God was like, yeah, I'm still listening, but also I'm not done. <laughs> we're going to put you through a couple more things. We're going we're to put you through the ringer a few more times. He might not be done, Mark. Mark. <laughs> 
maybe I get to write my own book. And instead of Elijah, mine's going to have six or seven or eight. God forbid, we'll stop at four. But the identity of patience can have a negative connotation too. And I have been taught negative patience here in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, the positive patience always outweighs the negative patience. But in these times, recognize this. Uh, Jeff, you said this really well before, but God does always come through. There is always an identity of God coming through. You don't always get to pick when. And you don't always get to decide when God is done speaking. I feel like in a lot of ways, like, kids need to understand this at an early age, too, where it's just like, I heard you. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then you walk away, and you're like, hold on, young man, young lady. I wasn't finished. And you're like, how could there be more? <laughs> Mark, that head nod was just so aggressive. Like, Yes. In my household, yes. But that idea of it's not always over until God says that it's over. You can stop listening, and that's one thing. But negative patience sometimes means going through the hard things all the way through. All the way through until the end. And we've hit a couple of those here. Somehow, I feel like I've got like these war scars all over me where it was just like, okay, cool. This all makes sense. I work for JFIT. Everything is here. And then the conference is like, you're out of here. We're sending you back to Andrews. And it's like, oh, Cool. Well, we just got started here, so I think, oh, there's no choice? Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sweet. Back to Andrews. Then I come back here, and look at that. There's somebody sitting in my spot, Jessica. <laughs> Which is not fair, because I helped hire Jessica before I left. So she was sitting in the spot I had vacated for her, doing a great job. And it was incredible, and it was beautiful, and it was so much fun to watch. So I went somewhere else where things started to unravel. And a senior pastor got fired, and a bunch of things fell apart, and it was really tough. And then we brought in a new senior pastor, and it was not working there either. And then Jessica graciously got up out of the seat and said, you can sit here if you want to, which was great. So I showed up, and it was super fun for exactly 10 days, at which point Japheth said, I'm moving to Adventist Health, which is so rude, am I right? <laughs> 10 days in, we're making a switch. So now we got to go back. we got to find a new senior pastor, which I just got good at at the last place. Found somebody, brought him in, and cool, smooth sailing from here on out, said no one. And COVID hits, and we have to figure out how to do all of this using a television screen. And that was super fun for a couple of years. And along the way, we found Jeff. It was like, great, we're going to finally hit some clear water. I'm really excited about the next seven years. And then, like a jerk, I say, hey, Jeff, guess what? I'm going to go work for Adventist Health. <laughs> Patience is a negative virtue in some ways, too. It's still a virtue. But I've been taught how to deal through negative patience and the understanding of what that means. And the flowers for all of you is when you hit these spots, you have people who is not a leader in any sense of any way here at this church whatsoever. Haven't, don't do anything. You're not a greeter. You don't put anything up. Keep your hand up. This is where you look around. Don't look at me. This is not a guilt trip. This is also an opportunity for all the elders to start spotting the people to recruit. Gotcha. Annie's not from here. You can't recruit her in this case. But who, who else is just, just a, a, I am just a church member or a church partner. I'm not even a member here. I'm a guest this week. You all get to play a role too. Here's the good thing. That identity of negative patience, there's going to come a point where you're like, man, things are kind of tough here. Things are really hard. You have a bunch of people around here that already love you. 
Because that's the idea. Our whole motto here is live love. And the goal is to do that every single week. And we collide here on Sabbath every single Saturday just to be able to do something like this. You all have a role. And when negative patient shows up, you can be the, the, the person who helps that person get through and then take it to an elder, then take it to a vision board member, then take it to a pastor. Find a way to have that conversation. But you can work through these negative things. Last one. Anybody want to guess what the third one is? It's passionate. <laughs> gotcha. Be passionate. This church is passionate. It doesn't always feel passionate, and I'll be the first one to tell you that, because sometimes you can get to a place where you're like, oh, do I really fit? Is this really a good fit for me? Is this really a good spot? Ask around. Everybody who has like this face, usually a good person. They just have this face on. I have this face. I've had to learn to turn it off, because apparently that's part of being a pastor, is you can't go to a visit and just talk to somebody like this, because then they tell you, are you okay? And you're like, yeah. You don't look okay. Like, no, I am. Are you, are you mad at me? <laughs> Where's Doris? Doris and Russell get this moment too. Flowers for them. I learned how to visit from Doris and Russell uh, in the worst way. I've, I failed to visit hard. I did, not, I did not like stay locked in in this moment. We were on a visit. Jafit was there as well. We're sitting at their dining room table. If you haven't been that's the first person you need to get to know if you're a visitor here because they'll actually invite you over. It's fantastic. You can look out over this beautiful view, whether it's covered in snow or bathed in sun. It's perfect. I failed my first visitation for this church horribly to the point where I... Do you not remember this, Doris? I live in this nightmare throughout my life. So if you don't remember... Moving on. This is good. So... <laughs> No, it was really bad. It was totally terrible for me because ultimately I started playing with a piece of tinfoil and I forgot what I was doing and I was really tired because remember that whole thing about Japhet moving mountains? We were actively pushing a mountain and so it was really tiring to stay on top of everything else. In these moments, sometimes you forget and you need the kindness of people who are passionate about what they do to bring you back into the fold, to be able to say, hey, are you Okay to ask you the questions of, you don't look okay, your face is all scrunched up, and also you've been playing with that piece of tinfoil for about 11 minutes. Like, oops. It's really helpful to have passionate people who want you to do well. It was in that moment that it was a, it was a teaching moment. It was a life moment for me. And Doris keeps doing this, which is great. That means I just have all the guilt and you have all of the like, flowers that are coming your way. But do that for each other. Do that in these moments. Be honest with people. Give them the opportunity to be exactly who they are. But also you can be who you are. Uh, I don't see the Wests here today, but Fiona posted something the other day uh, on her Instagram about it's your book, read it out loud. And I love that, that idea of you having your own story and letting people do that. There are so many stories in this room. There are so many opportunities of things that people are passionate about. And it's a really good key to unlock a bunch of stuff. What are you passionate about? Maybe not your first question, especially introverts who are in the room who are like trying to break into the social scene. Don't start with, so what are you passionate about? It's not a really great opener, but you can warm up into it as you go through. What do you, what's your name? Where do you live? What's your favorite sport? What are you passionate about? It's usually enough runway to get you into a really good spot. So find ways to find the stories that are in this room. The flowers here are for everybody in this part. 
Tell your story, read your book out loud. Recognize that your story is incredibly important and the things that you're passionate about may not be what somebody else is passionate about, but you can actually build really cool bonds with people who agree with you. You can build incredible bonds with people who don't agree with you and just bring them along for your story. The other thing is this, as we close up here, um, what we did today uh, is important, it's special. But here's the other thing, don't wait until the next time this gets scheduled at this church to do it. Don't wait for us to decide, and I say us, I guess now it's Jeff, for Jeff to decide whether or not you're doing communion. Don't do communion just once a quarter. And I don't mean that in the sense of like, go out and buy all of these things and you can have communion at home. I mean, build community. Have a koinonia moment. Throw back to an older sermon of the Greek term. Fully giving to somebody else so that they will fully give to you. Don't wait for this church to decide when you do communion. Do it all the time. This was just a little piece. Don't forget that the story in scripture is a meal, a whole meal. Have a, a whole meal with somebody and share the things that you're passionate about. Talk about the things that are testing your patience. Understand that these things are important and then give flowers to the people. Compliment them as much as you can. Tell them what you like about them. Tell them what they mean to you. Have a full meal all together. Because in the new year, ultimately, there are a lot of things that will change, that can change, that you can see and maybe the ones that you can't. I've had four so far that I didn't see coming. Thankfully, the year is over, so does that mean I get to restart, Mark, and I get to go to a different number? Cool, so it's like flipping to the next chapter of my story. It was four in the first one, then to the next one. But don't wait to do this again. Don't wait to do this with one another, because the goal is repair. Repair what's broken, whatever that is. Maybe it's personal, maybe it's interpersonal, Maybe it is a long-standing issue. Maybe it's something that just came up. I think I've talked about Brene Brown from up here of the story I'm telling myself. Just be willing to tell somebody, hey, the story I'm telling myself is that face you're making while you're looking at me playing at this tinfoil at the table kind of makes me think you're not locked in, that you're not really interested. Hey, that helps to hear Doris's story and to tell that story to me. Tell your story and read it out loud. Continue to repair whatever is broken. And the best way to do it is to use three things that are readily available to you all the time. Use the Father, use the Son, and use the Holy Spirit. And use them as guidance to extend the gospel, extend good news, reach across every aisle you possibly can in order to repair what's broken. Because we absolutely need it. We are living in a time where things are dissonant. Things feel ruptured. And it only gets better if we allow it to. It's not going to get better on its own. So we need as many of these tabletop opportunities to sit together because ultimately there is a mandate and that is to give flowers to your friends while they can still enjoy them. But the rest of it is really important too. We're supposed to love God, love others as we love ourselves. And so for no other reason, find a reason to have community so that you can live in this reality of loving God, loving yourself, and love others. Good news is this. It's the Sabbath. He got a whole day off. So do as Jesus did for you. Don't wait. There's still time. Live love while you still can.